It's not just actual insert ads that the public sees. It's the fabric of the broadcast now. And you go back five years ago, before all this, every major sport considered gambling a mortal sin. And, and now they've certainly embraced it because they figured out how to make money off it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada Show. It is a snowy Thursday afternoon on this February 15th, 2024. And I'm your host, Steve McAllister. At the bottom of the hour, Natalie Bergeron from the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition will be with us to discuss the lead item in this morning's Gaming News Canada newsletter. That would be the Office of Quebec Finance Minister Eric Girard, in a statement to a media outlet in Sherbrooke this week, indicated the province doesn't support opening a regulated sports betting and iGaming marketplace. Chris Abbott and Phil Gray, they're with us, as always. Amanda Brewer may be with us a little bit later. We'll go over the other news from the from the week that's been. Before we go there, however, I do want to express my gratitude to everyone who supported Gaming News Canada, which celebrated on Tuesday the third anniversary of, of launching the newsletter and, and these audio uh, get-togethers back in February of t- 2021. There are far too many people to mention, not enough time to do that, but uh, on behalf of Mark Silver and Mike Day, Kevin Kennedy, Gavin Roth, and, and Jonah Morris, the partners at Parlay Media, I just want to say a simple thank you for your support over the uh, the past three years. Phil, maybe we, where we start, there was a report that came out this morning from Eilers and Crycheck done on behalf of an organization that gaming lawyer Jeff Efra in the U.S. Is, is, um, helped start, and John Pappas from GeoComply is a member of that group as well. And it, I think in, here in Canada, Phil, it's a bit of a no-shit no Sherlock story in that uh, the report looks like at the, uh, the impact of online casino on on land-based casinos and this is something that paul burns and amanda brewer have talked about here on the show and in the newsletter pretty much over the last three years that there really isn't any proof that there is a cannibalization of land-based casinos when you introduce online gaming that's what the study showed here but again it just felt that that was something we already knew yeah for sure i'm Boy, I mean, you can pass in by, you know, I, I go down the 401 to Toronto and, and you go by, you go by uh, uh, in Gananaki and uh, you, you see the, you know, the cars there from, from 10 a.m. in the morning till, till midnight. Um, but casino is still, you know, it's the ore that, uh, that, that drives the boat um, for, for online. Uh, just, just massive. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, the numbers as they play out in the next couple of years. Chris, uh, but does does this surprise you that um, there's still this feeling out there or that uh, that land-based casinos should feel threatened by by digital operators, or or do you think this is again these land-based operators just trying to to get every every scrap, every penny uh, they can, or or is it is there kind of a rhyme to the reason for for um, you know the idea having this study done? <laughs> Uh, for me, I think it's it's like anything, and and we might touch on this when we get to the Quebec piece a little bit later. But it's like, hey, I, I've got squatters' rights. I'm here first. Um, I don't want anyone coming in taking a cut of my business. I look at it in this way. I think some land-based casinos, especially when we're talking table games right now, are actually out of price range for a lot of people. Like if you go into one of the land-based casinos around Ontario and you walk up to a um blackjack table or you know one of the poker variation games a lot of them are you know have gone from being you know a five dollar or ten dollar um stake to 15 20 25 and and those games add up real quick when you're when you're playing like that so 
I think there's um, a finite amount of capacity for the land base. I think they're all pretty busy. Um, I think online is, um, you know, for somebody who works in marketing in this industry, it's an entry point, I think. You know, if I get my first taste of um, what it's like to be in a casino online uh, and then want to go try out the real thing, then I think that's, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Um, I don't know if, if any of you guys remember this, but I'm of the era where I used to have a game on Nintendo called Casino Kid which in hindsight, I don't think they'd be able to make that today. Uh, but my first introduction to casino games was literally on my Nintendo, walking around, trying out different games on the casino kit, and then eventually found land base. And, um, you know, that's, to me, it was, it was an entry point. Hey, Phil, were you a casino kid guy? Absolutely not. I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I'm, I'm, I'm just a bookie, Steve. But, you know, as Chris was saying, uh, you know, actually in Quebec, though, you know, Casino de Montréal, and that uh, you can still, you know, it's still you can you can still get in on on very low stakes. Um, Ontario has changed a little bit, but again, you know, casino is uh, like I said, it's the ore that 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 drives the boat. It's what kept online books um, alive during uh, you know the, the COVID crisis and the shutdown of sports betting. Um, yeah, it, it hasn't yet. You know, uh, I'll go there. It hasn't yet come under the guise of responsible gaming. Um, I, you know, as Chris knows, and you all know, and for every dollar we take in a sports book, we take four or five dollars in the casino. And there's there's some issues there that haven't been addressed yet. I mean, on uh, the land based casinos, do they address it? Um, that's been questioned as well, it, as you've seen with some of the uh, numerous uh, um, um, publications about what happened in Windsor with 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 um, with the client. Uh, again, it's casino is a, it's a different beast. It's very interesting. Hey guys, we've we've talked about it in this form so so many times, and the advantage that Ontario had by integrating sports betting and, and iGaming gaming into the marketplace here, right from right from the get go. And and again, um, you know, I, I guess props to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission Ontario for consulting with operators and and going down that road. And and we see, um, you know, two years after the Ontario marketplace opened, just how challenging it is for U.S. states who have legal sports betting but don't have iGaming to legalize. Chris, are there one or two reasons why it's such tough slugging to get there? It's generally political and there's big, uh, you know, there's big corporations who, who own the kind of land-based dynamic where it is legal. Now, in some places, um, you know, you don't have either, but... I think, uh, yeah, it, it all comes down to dollars and cents and who figures that they have the, the right or the protection to offer the service. Um, it's obviously a, a high revenue industry. And yeah, it's uh, key. Casino is key to anybody making money. If you're in a, in a state where you're getting taxed at 50% or more um, of what you're making on just a sports book, for example, you're, you're, in, you're in tough. Yeah, you're in, you're in really really tough because sportsbook margins are are generally quite low. Um, so I would say that yeah, if you, if you were to ask me, it all comes down to the conversations. And again, you know, we're going to talk about Quebec a little later on today. Um, those aren't just you know government policy decisions that are being made um, for the sake of of John Q. Public for the most part. Um, there's usually some some very interested parties who are are lobbying there. Hey, Phil, do you want to add any last words on that topic? Um, yeah, when you get into, you know, a bureaucracy and, um, and, and legislative uh, assemblies and, and um, issues and agendas with, with, with sitting members of, of political 
organizations, as we'll see here in Quebec, as we're, we're going to talk about later, it becomes, you know, the, the dynamic is, is complex and there's, there's a lot of players, as Chris said, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's not easy to just, you know, uh, flick, flip a switch and say, uh, you know, we're going to offer this or we're going to offer that. There's, uh, there's many voices in, in that uh, discussion. Hey, Phil, I, I want to move along here. And, and thanks to you for flagging this on LinkedIn this morning. And I, I am kicking myself for I, I missed the story from Jeff Sikoni at covers yesterday to include in the, the Thursday newsletter. But Phil posted it this morning. And uh, th- this case between the Mohawk Council of Kahnawake and iGaming Ontario and the, the Ontario government is, is finally going to court next week. I, I think the, the council took this legal action almost either before the Ontario market opened in April 2022 or, or immediately there, thereafter. But um, for everybody's going, they are going to court next week and, and um, the government and, and iGaming Ontario, they're, they're going to be uh, defending the regulatory framework. If, in case you missed the story that the Mohawk Council of Kahnawake alleged in court documents that uh, the Ontario marketplace is illegal because it is not the province, uh, quote, conducting and managing the gambling, which is allowed by federal law, but rather private sector operators. And Phil, this is something as someone who used to work for the council that, that I'm sure you follow quite closely. And I'm, I'm thinking you probably still talk to uh, talk to people at, at Kahnawake. Can you, can you maybe explain the rationale behind the council for going down the, the legal path here? Oh, absolutely. I actually never worked for, uh, you know, for um, Kahnawake or the or uh, the the Kahnawake Gaming Commission or or the council. Uh, I mean, I was I was employed by an operator that was licensed and regulated in uh, the territory of Kahnawake. Their argument goes back to the passing of Bill C- C-218, you know, a number of years three years ago now, I guess, uh, that, you know, um, that uh, enabled single-game sports betting and turned it over to the provinces. The Mohawk Council of Kahnawake made a motion that they should receive as under their constitutional rights, and there is there is a very strong argument there that they should have a carve-out and they should be able to do the same thing that Ontario is doing. They were denied. It went to the Senate to a vote and they were denied the carve out. So now it, it becomes a suit that I think, you know, uh, Ganawagi is saying, well, if Ontario is allowed to do this and we weren't, it's illegal. And, you know, they do have an argument. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, as a First Nation and again, their constitutional right to 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 self-commerce and self-governance, that uh, they were denied that. So now they're challenging that Ontario's position that they can as you know uh, i guess ontario a nation within inside a nation it'll be a very interesting argument i don't i don't know that it's going to have a lot of legs within the on within the canadian judicial system it, because it's a first nations motion we all you know we all like to um uh, as far as the first nations go there can be a lot of good feelings but when it comes down to dollars and cents uh, that they are denied so it'll be very interesting to see how this proceeds uh and, and how it plays out Hey, Phil, thanks for clarifying your, your ties or lack thereof to Kahnawake. And well, then- you know, you know the, 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 the KGC, the Kahnawake Gaming Commission, is, Steve, I mean, for you know, all intents and purposes, for a couple of decades, it's one of the most you know, well-respected and, and best-run regulatory commissions in the world and has been for a long time. And they've weeded out bad players, as, as has every other jurisdiction. But, uh, you know, they had responsible gaming uh, initiatives and, and uh, dispute uh, mechanisms in place a long time ago. Believe me, I've dealt with them many times. 
Hey, Chris, and again, just to further clarify, so that the the original challenge by the, the uh, council happened in November in 2022. So I'm uh, just doing some research right while Phil was speaking there. You know, Chris, the one thing I, I do kind of wonder about is, is um, in the council's court documents, it, it, it says that it's actually not the province uh, conducting and managing the, the marketplace, but it's private sector operators. And that that makes me wonder, you know, if that if how is that something that the council could prove prove in court? But I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I'm certainly not a lawyer, but I guess to me, it would come down to what the definition is. Right. And I think that's what the lawyers are going to try and prove. Um are they conducting and managing the market? I, I suppose you could say they are in that they have created a framework where they have, you know, whether you call them subsidiaries or third parties or whatever, whose platforms are, are running things, then yeah, they're doing that because it all falls under the framework of iGaming Ontario. So uh, they are technically, I suppose, conducting and, and managing a gaming operation here in the province um in the reality are they a little more arm's length from the, the actual operators yeah i mean uh, yes but there's a, a strict code that uh, needs to be adhered by reporting um etc so yeah i'm not a lawyer uh and i certainly don't know the criminal code inside out or anything like that so i think we're gonna have to wait and see what the uh, legal teams for each side are able to kind of put forth as arguments and precedent and and definition and, and go from there. But it's an interesting conversation. Um, and, you know, let's not, you know, let's not be naive here. There's a, a huge bit of business that would have gone away from brands operating under a kind of walkie license that, you know, that are now going into Ontario. Absolutely. And tech, you know, as Chris said, tech, technically an arm's length is, is, are the keywords there. Um, but, how much control does does Ontario have over, over some of the operators that are that are operating in Ontario under, under a regulated framework? Well, that you know that that could be that can be argued as well. I mean, I, I I'm quite still in the industry, even though I, I'm not a bookie anymore and kind of unemployed. But uh, you know, there was operators in Ontario uh, for Super Bowl taking six figure single bets. Did Ontario have anything to say about that? No, they did not. So interesting see how it plays out. Phil, like, again, as you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, I mean, obviously the, the federal government who made the amendment to the criminal code to uh, put Bill C-218 in, into effect. And it just seems that the federal government has a large role here to play in, in kind of bringing clarity to First Nations and the gambling industry in this country. Is there an easy fix here or is there an opportunity for the federal government to take a certain course of action that would that could benefit everybody or is it just a lot more complicated than that? It's quite complicated, but I mean, it always is when you're dealing with First Nations initiatives that, that involve uh, that involve money, you know, and the, you know, the First Nations on behalf of the Mohawk Council of Kahnawake, they were well ahead of, of Bill C-218 in making motions and um, discussions and, and, and trying to initiate uh, the, the conversation ahead of that, that the First Nations would be recognized as due to their constitutional right to self-commerce and self-governance. And they were largely ignored. And it went to, you know, went right to the Senate. There was, I, I sat in on the Senate discussion where the, the carve-out for First Nations was, de was denied by a Senate vote. Uh, I was actually on that Senate call um, and watching. 
Uh, but it, it, for lack of a better word, Steve, as you say, it, it's always complicated when you have First Nations um, initiatives. Hey, let's. Uh, great stuff, guys. Thanks for thanks for that. I want to uh, want to move uh, actually go back a bit to Tuesday's newsletter, and um, we got our hands late last week on on an email from the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario to uh, to operators about the um, with with an update to the proposed revisions to the ad standards for for the uh, online gambling marketplace that will take effect February twenty eighth and. The, the note which came from Dave Phillips, Brent McCurdy, and, and Ben Valido's essentially the final guidance to support the impl- implementation of those those amendments and just some minor tweaking, really. And and again, th- this is really targeted, Chris, to make sure that advertising and marketing initiatives aren't appealing to minors. And um, so, again, the, a little bit more language around the use of cartoon figures and social media influencers and, and role models. And then, of course, as we've talked about so many times here, the use of active or, or retired athletes. It, it, it still feels, Chris, like just reading the email from, from last week and, and reading the uh, the updated standards that there is still going to be some gray area. And, and I, I'm just not quite sure how the AGCO is going to police this. Yeah, I mean, that's been kind of the everything since day one uh, when it comes to the standards uh, and as as they've evolved um, over the years now. It's very much they're, they're laying the groundwork and, and saying, you know, don't run afoul of this, but we're not going to tell you exactly what is or isn't running afoul. I, mean, I, I will say it's, it's a little more defined now. Um, but yeah, it'd be a full-time job kind of adjudicating. Uh, and one of the things we saw early days was that operators were going around reporting each other <laughs> about, about um, you know, who might be uh, crossing the line and things like that. So it's kind of like the, the last issue we were talking about where, you know, not everyone started from standing still in this in this kind of scenario. There was already operators globally who had... Um, you know, celebrities advocating for them. There were some who didn't. There's, you know, there's different van- views from from each operator about what what they'll be able to do, what they won't be able to do. We still have the issue of uh, American or global TV penetrating our our shores here. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I would just say I'm I'm glad I'm not on that side of the fence trying to figure it all out. I was going to say to that point, Chris, it, it does seem to me that. Um, it is going to create headaches for operators who have campaigns in the U.S. right now featuring celebrities and athletes and influencers, et cetera. And, and I just wonder, like, if you're an operator who's, you know, basically takes your U.S. advertising uh, campaigns and, and just brings it into Canada, um, are these operators going to be willing to make, make those changes to make it, uh, to make it conform within the rules here? You know, to me, it's very much along the lines of brands that are registered in Ontario where they can openly advertise on TV, um, being shown in unregulated provinces where they may also have a dot com um, website available. I think it's much the same until we have some some language or even the ability to technically block these things. It's there's certainly there's going to be a loophole there. Hey, Chris, one more question. Just. What what are the odds that an operator in Ontario would actually take advantage of an endorsement deal with an athlete or a celebrity and, and operate within the rules of having those people in, involved in responsible gambling messaging? Do you see operators kind of leaning into that at all? 
Well, I'd hope so, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, here's what I think is honestly going to play out. Some operators are going to have celebrities who are under contract that they're going to try and squeeze whatever they can out of if they cannot get out of the contract. Or they're using them in America where they can have whatever. Uh, Let's let's take Jamie Foxx for an example because he's one of the the most recognizable ones. If Jamie Foxx is on American advertising for MGM, um, they also want to use him in Canada. Yeah, they're going to shoot a responsible gaming ad with with him just because it'll help expand the reach and and it's a way to get around it. Um, I don't know that you'll see many brands that don't have a celebrity with them right now that are going to hire one exclusively for responsible gaming messaging, although maybe it wouldn't be a terrible idea. Hey, Phil, there's one bit of language in the email and in the standards that we really haven't discussed much here. And and um, it is interesting. And, and I think it's something that you've talked a little bit about here before. And I'll, I'll just read you the uh, I'll read you the uh, section in, in the updated standards. And it uh, it does mention that this requirement's been changed. And the language is, quote, uh, entice or attract potentially high risk players. Instead, measures shall be in place to limit marketing communications to all known high-risk players. Um, how how relevant, if at all, is is that language here? Boy, that, that again, that I think complicated is going to be the word that that we use today in a lot of these things. Uh, um, I mean, provincial corporations, lottery corporations have, have been doing the same in corner stores for for decades. You could go and buy your one in fourteen million shot, you know, at a six forty nine, and right beside it, you know, by the candy bars is all the flashy scratch and win tickets. So it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can watch look, look, watch the Super Bowl or watch watch the the, the conference championship games in in the NFL, and and who came on at the beginning promoting same same game parlays with Kurt Warner. So uh, I, I, I find there, there's a lot of hypocrisy there here, and I understand what Ontario is trying to do. Absolutely. Um, be above and beyond, you know, with, with you know, the, the chin up and the, the shoulder straight as, you know, we're, we're responsible gamers and we're not going to entice minors. But I don't think anything you can do as a sports book, if you're going to hire a celebrity, I... I Personally, for me, I don't see it as enticing, you know, a 14-year-old to become a, a problem gambler. I just, I don't see it, but I understand their position for for legislating, I guess, I guess against the backlash that has become mostly because of the proliferation of ads. And, and that goes down to, you know, um, the broadcast media um, taking them on for purely for, you know, financial concerns. Chris, that's a great point that Phil makes, because, again, I think there's still a perception by people outside of this industry that that the operators somehow have clout over the over the media companies on how many ads they can place. And and again, the, as we've said here before, and we've said in the newsletter that the networks certainly take responsibility for those ads. The NFL has, um, you know, a set amount of inventory that they will show during a game. Um, the NHL does not. Um, and then, you know, the broadcasters have, have broadcast rights with the leagues and then, you know, the operators are a sponsor just like, uh, you know, Tide or, uh, Milk or whomever you're a sponsor. So 
Um, if you're if this category is priced at X and somebody's willing to pay it, then then somebody's going to pay it. Um, I don't know how much influence the operators actually have. They they would have more influence when it comes to actually the content, uh, the sponsored content, for example. Right. You know, FanDuel's deal with TSN, where they would have a little more say there. But when it comes to advertising space, no, uh, not so much. And then you know, the part that you know we've talked about this here before, but just getting your ad through Think TV is is quite the challenge. Um, and Think TV is a clearinghouse for for anyone listening who doesn't know for for all Canadian media. Um, so they, you know, you have to get your TV commercial passed through there um, before it's even approved. You can't just put whatever you want on the air. So I think there's lots of um, lots of things in place to uh, to curb any any bad behavior from an advertiser, but um, yeah, the the operators don't have you know a, a ton of pull there. We can buy it and and maybe negotiate placement when it comes on if it's before the pregame or during the first period. But um, yeah, those things are are pretty much set. There's still broadcasters you know in Ontario. I won't name them that are that are you know taking big money from .net um, gambling entities um, that are you know. Uh, Highly illegal. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to say it. So, and nobody, nobody's looking at that yet. Just on the advertising piece, and uh, before we get Natalie Bergeron on here, and then in the newsletter we include a link today to uh, Dave Briggs' story on PlayCanada.com, and Dave basically took his own inventory of Super Bowl ads in Canada on, on, for the game broadcast on on Sunday, and there's a graphic that we include in the newsletter. But you know, good on Dave for for track tracking that. And just quickly on the graphic, the most commercials came from Bell Media promoting its uh, its lineup of shows. So TV TV commercials took up almost forty percent of the uh, of the ads during the broadcast, and followed by um, financial organiz- organizations and tele- telecom. And then gambling, drinks, and movies are at the bottom end of the spectrum uh, at about uh, looks at about five percent or a little bit below five percent. Chris mentioned the restrictions on, on commercials, which we, we did reach out to the NFL about that last week, and they confirmed that that indeed was the case. Chris, does that surprise you at all, or does that kind of fall in line with what you maybe have seen from an unscientific guy watching a, an NFL broadcast? Yeah, I mean, during the season, you'll see a lot of, um, you know, Bell-promoted shows. But if they had 40-something percent on the Super Bowl, that also makes me wonder if they didn't sell the inventory that they wanted to sell. Um that seems like an awful lot in-house. Um, I, I'm, I, that, that's one. That's the, that's how my ears perked up when you mentioned that. But I, I don't know what their strategy was. But that's the first thing that uh, that that got my attention. Uh, Phil, any ad there? You, you see a lot of ads. They're actually not ads. You go go to you know the panel. Um, you know you see it on Hockey Night in Canada. You see it in the NFL now. And again, I go to um, you know the, the conference championship weekend. I believe. You know the NFL kicked off their their primetime show, um, uh, sponsored by FanDuel, and it was a minute of minute and a half of Kurt Warner um, giving you his best same game parlay. So it's not just actual you know insert ads that uh, the public sees. It's it's the fabric of of the broadcasts now. And you go back five years ago to, to before all this. You know every every major sport considered you know gambling uh, or gaming. Um, uh, you know, a mortal sin, and, and now they've certainly embraced it because they figured out how to make money off it. So you're getting into all the nuances now, and you know the nuts and bolts of what you can and what you can't do. But the fabric is there. I mean, it is completely ingrained now. A word from our sponsor. 
Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Last week, we uh, we reported in the newsletter on, on the uh, appearance by Alberta Minister Dale Nally at, at the ICE conference in London and uh, appearing on a Canadian roundtable and, uh, and talking about the fact that uh, that province was starting to develop a strategy for, for a competitive iGaming market. Um, this week, a, a different story in Quebec where Simon uh, Roberge of La Tribune, a, a Sherbrooke a digital newspaper had a story on Monday that uh, quotes or received a statement from the office of Quebec Finance Minister Eric Girard, uh, making it clear that right now, anyway, the, the province has no interest at all in, in licensing sports betting and gaming operators to compete with Lotto, Lotto Quebec. I'll just read you the quote in case you didn't see the newsletter. And, and this comes from the finance minister's office that they sent to uh, to Robert, and that's a quote. What we observe in other jurisdictions is that the changes uh, made have led to overexposure to online gambling advertisements and a trivialization of gambling. This is not what we want in Quebec. Um, we did reach out to the uh, spokesperson for the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition for her thoughts yesterday to, to include the newsletter this morning, and we thought we'd uh, just bring Natalie Bergeron back to to speak with her today. And Natalie, as always, we appreciate you, uh, appreciate you uh, joining us. And uh, rather than me just reading, uh, reading your response, uh, uh, because I know uh, Simone also reached out to you on Monday, just just, just your thoughts on what's uh, come out of the finance minister's office. And it, it's, uh, you know, we reached out to the office back in December, which at that time told us they had no no comment to what uh, what, what was going on in the province. Well, it's definitely disappointing and surprising to us, uh, particularly in light of the numbers that we released in December that show that three out of four uh, player in Quebec plays on privately operated platforms. Uh, but if you're looking at the same article, you'll see Dr. Kehouz also state, you know, stated that this is a state of affairs that doesn't make sense. Uh, there is no way that uh, the view of the government is going to you know, make sense in the long term. Yeah, and you mentioned Natalie's uh, Sylvia Carus, who's a research chair on gaming at Concordia University. She was also quoted in the story. And Sylvia mentioned that basically the existing monopoly that a lot of Quebec has isn't good to have in the province at, at large, and that there is a life expectancy on that. The finance minister's office has been fairly quiet on this for, for the past year. What, what, what do you think is the motivation for them to come out with, with a pretty forceful statement? That's a very good question. Um, however, if you look at their statement, there's, there's two points that I think are worth noting or countering. When they're saying that in other jurisdictions, what we're seeing is, you know, proliferation, it's even more important to regulate and to put in, you know, to put in place a system that will protect players 
and that will address all of their concerns regarding, you know, the increase of flares and in, in the, uh, you know, the safety measures as well as advertising. You were talking earlier about, you know, Ontario's changes to uh, advertising regulations. Um, any uh, regulated model would be easily adaptable to continue to evolve if the government was deciding to put something like Big Bess in place. The other uh, point they were making was about, you know, the fact that there's more and more cell phone. That's the same, you know, situation in all regulated markets. Um, you know, the arrival of cell phone is, is far from new. However, it is making it easier. Therefore, it's even more a reason to regulate. Uh, you know, they're out there and people are already playing, whether it's, you know, on a home computer or, or on their cell phone. We just need to make sure that we're giving them a safe environment to do so. I guess the timing seems a bit surprising too, Natalie. I would have to believe that the Quebec government was following what was going on with Alberta and Dale Nally's appearance last week in, in, in London. And, um, you know, as, as we've seen here in Ontario, um, OLG hasn't been adversely affected by the open open market here. In fact, their, their revenues have been increased quite handsomely over the over the two years that the, the open market's been in, in place here. Any thoughts on the timing? I, I guess um, I know that, that the coalition did submit a brief to the, uh, to the province in advance of their budget. And any thoughts on just the timing of the statement from the finance minister's office? Well, we have no way of knowing when uh, the reporter actually spoke to, uh, to the reporter. What, we, what I know is when I spoke to the reporter, which was um, in December, so the timing is the, the the timing is surprising. I can't speak to their motivations or to their to their timing. What I think is interesting is seeing Alberta is looking at what Ontario has done and is now showing openness in terms of you know identifying new opportunities. But it's also interesting to see that both Ontario and Alberta are looking at you know scientists' data. Uh, and scientists' recommendations. If you remember, the Nadal report came out in 2014 and was already advocating for such a model. Um, and our government has been uh, saying throughout the pandemic that you know science had to lead decisions, but we have the experts uh, on the industry here in Quebec that are making their those recommendations and have been making those recommendations for 10 years, and the government is consistently ignoring them. So that's baffling to me. With, with the story coming out this week, Natalie, what what does you know in your role with the coalition? Like, has has the coalition had a meeting this week, or or is you know what what happens when when you have uh, when you had the government making a statement like this, and is the coalition still feel that there's um, that there is a path forward to to having regulated gaming in Quebec? It just reinforces our commitment to making sure that we keep bringing facts and numbers forward so that the government can make evidence-based decisions. Um, at, there's a point where the government will no longer be able to ignore uh, the data. Three out of four players are playing on privately operated platforms, not on Loto Quebec. Loto Quebec has had 10 years to make, to make its offering appealing to gamers, and it has it has not done that. They have less than thirty percent of the market in ten years, and what is supposed to be a monopoly, that's a failure. 
And Natalie, I just I guess I, I it seems I ask this every time we have you have you join us on the show. But um, any have you had any any luck um, getting in front of uh, Mr. George's office? Well, there 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 were a meeting let you know earlier last summer, and we keep communications channels open. We make sure that we provide them with all the information that we release. We do so even ahead of time out of courtesy because we want to make sure that we keep a respectful communications channel open. Uh, we are committed to continuing to do that. We don't want to take them by surprise, uh, but we believe that uh, working hand in hand with them uh, will lead to the implementation of a regulated market. Um, before we let you go, Natalie, the, the coalition also submitted a brief um, uh, I'm not sure around the timing, but but the brief is called Regulating the Online Gaming Market, Quebec Windsor. Are you able to talk a little bit about what what's in that uh, what's in that report and, and again, what what the intention of it is? Well, the, we want to make sure that all levels of uh, the Quebec governments have access to the data as well as to key facts. Uh, the memoir, uh, you know, brings up two our two main requests, which are nothing new and actually come from uh, the scientists who are following our industry. It's the, you know, the implementation of a, of a licensing system similar to Ontario, but as well the, impl the implementation of an independent regulatory body. Uh, and it's interesting because 10 years ago, the NADO report was already uh, recommending that, but more recently, both uh, the, uh, the Montreal Public Health and the National uh, the National Institute for Public Health here in Quebec have come out with the same recommendations uh, when uh, it uh, came out with its recommendations regarding the um, the gaming salon in downtown Montreal with the Habs. Right. So we wanted to make sure that those recommendations were at the forefront and uh, that the revenues and uh, and, and, and monies that the government could be getting were taken into consideration in the next budget. Hey, Natalie, well, I have you with just one more thing too, and I, I don't think we had a chance to talk to you, but um, uh, just for people who haven't heard of the coalition, it's, it's mainly made up of, of operators who are licensed in the, uh, in the Ontario market, but um, the coalition added, added GeoComply, I think back in December, and. Uh, again, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty significant addition to the coalition, a Canadian company, and and people like Lindsay Slater and, and John Pappas and Anna Sainsbury. Uh, they've been fairly vocal about uh, pushing for more regulated operators. And again, if you have a chance to read the newsletter this week, um, GeoComply has some fascinating um, uh, research and reports from Super Bowl week and and betting patterns in in the U.S. But um, I'm thinking, Natalie, that having GeoComply come on board is, is is a real feather in the coalition's hat. Definitely. I mentioned earlier that, you know, we're just as committed as ever to making sure that the government makes evidence-based decisions. GeoComply is a key partner for us because they have access to that data and they can help us better track uh, Quebec players' habits and preferences so that we can make that case with the government. Natalie Bergeron is the spokesperson for the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition. Natalie, it's always great to have you on the show and, and provide us with your, your insight on, on behalf of the coalition. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Always a pleasure. Let's get uh, Dr. Mike Narain from Brock University here.
Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, I just wanted to to chime in. I know I, I was mentioning the newsletter as well, and and it's a uh, you know to, to Natalie's uh, point, it's it's a bit disappointing some of the news coming out. What I can share from my conversations uh, is that there is a lot of internal battle at LQ at Lato Quebec. Uh, I, I think you know this is it's not a uniform. Everyone believes that what the government should be doing is the way forward. There are individuals that I've spoken with. I, I I'm not privy to mention names, of course, but uh, it, it's it's disappointing all way around because there are internal stakeholders at LQ who have seen the writing on the wall, who have seen the data, um, and and really all that LQ really is pushing is uh, RG RG RG. But again, not even in an evidence supported way. Um, just really trying to hammer home that talking point to the to the Quebec public that you know we are the 100% legal option. We are the only ones who can do RG appropriately and efficiently for this Quebec market. We know the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's. Um, I just wanted to uh, jump in and, and mention that because you know as much as we're disappointed with what's coming out, uh, it's not a one size fits all sentiment coming out of Quebec. Um, there are internal people at LQ who want change, but for whatever reason, those at the very, very top are maintaining that hard line. Hey, Mike, I'm hoping you can stay with us for a few minutes because I want to talk in a, in a second about the uh, about another section of the news this morning, but I want to get Phil, Phil Gray back in here quickly just because Phil's a, a longtime Quebecer and has, uh, you know, has weighed in on this issue before. Um, Phil, any any thoughts on on our lead item in the newsletter this morning? Oh, absolutely. You have to understand the the bureaucracy in Quebec works quite differently than any of the other provinces in Quebec and in, in, in Canada. Sorry, um, there's many different voices, uh, as was just um, just noted, and they're they're and uh, they don't always vote along the party lines here in Quebec as they do, you know, in the rest of the provinces in the federal government. You know, the, the government makes a motion, everybody just stands up and raises their hand. It doesn't work that way in Quebec. And they see it right now uh, in some factions of the Quebec government. Miso-Jew works very, very well for them. They, they, they you know, they, they do pretty good. They, it used to be a primitive site a number of years ago, but they've done very well in upgrading it. And they also, they kind of, you know, Quebec is being kind of a protectionist uh, province and a protectionist government. They view, and they, they've, they've kind of got their backs up, Steve, to, to you know, be quite honest. They're being approached by a coalition with a number of operators that have been operating illegally in Quebec for the past couple of decades and are continuing to operate in Quebec as de facto the gray market illegally. So as what one of the ministers said last month, you know, how dare you come here and, and lecture us on, on our model and uh, responsible gaming when you're operating here illegally the, the mck and uh, the ganawagi gaming commission have approached uh, the quebec government on a, a number of times over the past couple of decades to opt to uh, get into a partnership and 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 regulate a framework here and the the, the answer from the quebec government has always either been silence or a flat out no so i'm not surprised at this point that they're as again you know they have their backs up uh and 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 they're saying no uh, but it will come. I mean, at some point, it will come in the next number of years. But right now, no way. Zero chance. Hey, Phil, how much pressure would there be on Francois Legault's government, just given 
municipalities, provinces, of the federal government are, are all looking for revenue streams right right now. And, and um, you know, we, we, we read about it. We see it on the news every every day. We read about it on social media. Is, is, is there any any pressure there or is it is it more what you just mentioned that that, that takes precedent right now? Yeah, not yet. Um, there, there won't be, um, even though, the, you know, they have a smaller market share of Miseau and a lot of Quebec with the land-based operations and the corner stores, um, they're still doing quite well. They make a lot of money and they see it, uh, some factions of that government and, and in a lot of Quebec see it, you know, the, 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 resor- the intensive resource um, application it will take to come to a regulated market like Ontario did. I went through the Ontario regulation process for over a year. It is complex. It is exhaustive. There's also the language question here as well, Steve, and they're looking at that. Companies are going to come here and demand um, that you know they, they be able to you know operate their offices you know strictly as an English speaking operation, and they won't be. So the government's also looking at this out. There's going to be a challenge there from companies that want to open offices and operate in English. And the way the language law is going not here now in business, it's getting more. Um, it's going back a few years. They're, they're demanding. Um, a, a completely French-speaking office, a completely French working office, and you're going to go through a, a compliance process. I went through the Ontario compliance process. It, it was like hundreds and hundreds of pages and, and complex, like not easy stuff. Um, so, the, you know, the Quebec government with part of, again, their exclusionary um, apparatus, they're not going to offer that to operators bilingually. There's, there's no way. You, you, if you want to come here and 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 go through that whole process a year to get get everything in order, it's going to be in French. They're not going to offer it to you in English. So they see that as well. You know that kind of challenge. And should we even bother to go through it right now for the extra revenue? And you know they say the studies are there. You know three three or four people are playing at um, you know unregulated private sites. Well, some some of those sites they're playing at are regulated in Ontario and they're operating here illegally. Let's uh, let's move on. I want to get Mike Noreen back in here. And, and Mike, your your name did come up in the newsletter this morning. I dedicated a section uh, of the newsletter to uh, to to responsible gambling slash problem gambling, and that was really motivated by a lot of news this week and uh, the Guardian in Australia report on a study from the Australian research study that talked about. Uh, children as uh, young as 12 years old, um, you know, being being influenced or or uh, believing that celebrities and influences are, are make make uh, gambling seem like fun. Um, big study coming out of C- Connecticut that uh, that looked uh, that part part of the results included the half of sports wagers made in the in the Connecticut uh, legal marketplace right now are coming from the accounts of problem gamblers. Um, that uh, that sparked Richard Blumenthal, the U.S. senator, who was pushing hard for a federal federal act to to create a, a problem gambling fund to to weigh in on on Twitter, and we we grabbed the or on on X now I guess, and we grabbed a screenshot of that. Um, there was a story out of Florida that the uh, that calls the gambling addiction hotlines have shot up dramatically. Um, and there's also a good piece, um, uh, Dan Trillero, a vice president with Epic Global Solutions, who does a lot of work um, on, on the responsible gambling side, writing an op-ed about, uh, about the increase in problem gambling. Um, Mike, uh, I'll get the opportunity to have a conversation 
Elaine McDougall from the Responsible Gambling Council yesterday. And one of the things that Elaine and I talked about is the fact that there still isn't any research in Canada in, in this kind of brave new world of, of online sports betting and, and iGaming and that that makes it a bit a little bit challenging to to take uh, to, to take concrete steps uh, without, without that data. And I, I know, Mike, it's been that's been a hobby horse of yours. You've talked about it here before, but obviously with you being back here today, we'd love to get your take on, on what you uh, what you're seeing these days. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Steve. I, I think, you, you know, Amanda mentioned this, Amanda Brewer mentioned this uh, uh, maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago um, that, you know, why hasn't anyone reached out to us? Right. I, I, and, and when I say us, I'm referring to the researchers, whether it's myself, Andrew Kim and at the University of Calgary, um, you know, even even Luke Clark, if you want to go to UBC on the psych side, I think the challenge and, and then you mentioned Sylvie from Concordia. You know, we're, we're here. The infrastructure for research exists like we've you know, if you think about universities and colleges in this country, you know, we've invested so much at a provincial, territorial and federal level, uh, you know, all across the board into, you know, post-secondary education. And now in 2024, it's like, yeah, you know what? You know, we started a brand new marketplace, but we're just going to let it continue to be wild, wild west and not really invest into it. And I think you made the point extremely clear in, in the newsletter this week, which is, you know, the government is, you know, taking off the top, you know, not just in the regulatory uh, fees here in Ontario. I mean, when you talk to IGO, they'll say, okay, well, the regulatory fees don't count towards sustainability. They're, they are meant for the regulation um, administrative costs and fees. That's a bit of a cop-out, but okay, I, I can appreciate that. But that doesn't necessarily take into consideration the individual tax dollars that are re being reaped off of uh, both sports wagering and casino wagering when it, when, when it comes to iGo um, and so or iGaming. And so why not for every dollar of tax being, you know, brought into the, the Ontario coffers, why not invest 10 cents from the public's point of view into research and education? Why not, you know, properly fund RCG, the Responsible uh, Council of Gambling? Um, why not properly fund a new, uh, you know, sports gambling hub here in Ontario. Again, whether it's Windsor, Brock, you know, TMU, Ottawa, it doesn't really matter what the school is or who the research team are. There are people like myself that are waiting, chomping at the bit to get to this, but it's not a situation where we can do this without the resources, right? Like, I mean, you got it takes money to make money and in order to create a sustainable market, which is what we all want here. We don't want a market that's going to dry up in the next two, three years. And then we go, well, you know, that was a complete failure or a complete bust. We, we want a, a well-regulated, well-sustained marketplace that takes into consideration RG, that takes into consideration proactive steps for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and, you know, even, even university kids here in Ontario. I, you know, I had a kid come to my office real quick, Steve, um, two days ago and, and suggested that we should have a sports book um, markets offered for U sports and OUA competition. Um, and it, so these kids are thinking about different ways to, to get involved and, and to operate a book or, you know, set lines. We need greater education, greater awareness, and that all comes with resourcing. And I know we're in a, a, a situation here in 2024 where, you know, like money is tight across the board, but if we want this thing to be sustainable, all stakeholders, 
but specifically, it's the, the book starts with um, and stops with the provincial government who created the marketplace. It starts and stops with them. We want the operators involved too. It's not just a, a one man or one person show, but it's got to start and stop with, with IGO and the AGCO and the provincial government. And it really could start with something as simple as dedicating 10% of each tax dollar that comes in straight up to research and education, funding, um, you know, a gambling chair, just like Sylvie is in Quebec. We don't have that here in Ontario. Just like the Alberta Gambling Council, Research Council has out in Alberta, we don't have that here in Ontario. We need those things if this is going to be a sustainable marketplace going forward. Hey, Chris Abbott, your reaction to, to Mike's thoughts? You know what, Steve? I, I have to apologize. I got sidelined from by an email there uh, while Mike was speaking. So I, I, if you can give me a, a quick Coles notes, I'll jump in. But otherwise, maybe want to pass me. Yeah, let me. Yeah, uh, let, uh, let let's get Phil. We'll get Phil Gray in here and for Phil's thoughts, and then that might that we can come back to you, Chris. Phil. Yeah, I mean Quebec again and Ontario. It, it, but it's at a crossroads in, in, in gaming here. But it, it also goes to you know responsible gaming goes to limiting, Steve. Um, we, we, you know, we see it in the UK now, if, if you bet a thousand bucks, you know, on a game, you're automatically, you know, identified and flagged as, um, you know, as someone that may have a gambling problem. And again, I go back to the Super Bowl in Ontario. I know for a fact there were online regulated books taking six figure bets on, on single bets on the Super Bowl. So we can talk about responsible gaming all we want. There's there's a model for books to uh, to make money and to run a business and until you address limiting on both sides either both for winners and losers it becomes a moot point to me um, we can do all the studies we want but when books are allowed to operate like that uh, you're getting into them what we were where we were you know a decade ago with some of the Costa Rican books and offshore books taking you know huge bets like that whether you can afford it or not is not the question uh, because it still becomes a principle of um, if, if you're betting six figures on an, on an NFL football game, you got a problem. Hey, Chris, to, to what Mike talked about is where, where does the buck stop in terms of, of leading, leading research, funding research into, into problem gambling? Like the, the, is it, is it the, is it the province? Is it the industry? Um, who, who needs to take that initiative or take that first step? I would say in an ideal world, uh, if we're writing a university paper, it should be both. I would say in reality, it has to be the the province or the regulator or whoever has the control here because operators will tell you, and they do, they focus on responsible gaming um, as much as possible. However, they also focus on a VIP segment as much as possible. And there's often overlap between those two. And I think that there needs to be, um, when it comes to responsible gaming, there has to be oversight primarily and firstly from the regulator, uh, the provinces, the state, whatever. And the operators should be made to pay for some of this research and the operators um, should be forced to implement whatever the findings of said research um, um, you know, dictate. Hey, Mike, I'll give the give the last word to you before I close out the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I agree with Chris. You know, when, when, when you think about 
you know, everything else in our society, you know, left to their own devices, you know, operators, uh, the, the, the free market will operate like a free market. And, and you know, it is a, a bit of a contradictory piece um, when you want to do RG, but at the same time, you want to maximize, um, you know, your customer lifetime value and extract as much value out of a customer as possible. So, yeah, you know, it is up to the government. So you can't just create a free market and say, all right, Wild Wild West style, shoot them up. You have to reinvest into it. And that's not a slight on anybody. It's just, you know what? We're making money now. Tax dollars are coming in. Let's also reinvest to make this a sustainable piece. And so, yeah, you know, they're, they're, it's, the buck does start and stop with the, the government. And, um, yeah, you know, looking forward, uh, forward thinking uh, for the remainder of 2024, let's hope that the, the province uh, lo looks at changing how they, how they invest into research and gambling in the iGaming system. That's Dr. Mike Narain from the Sports Management Program at Brock University. Mike, thanks for uh, for hopping on there. Um, our thanks this week to Natalie Bergeron at the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition. As always, to Chris Abbott and, and Phil Gray for for lending their uh, their knowledge and wisdom and expertise and insight over over the past uh, the past hour. Um, thanks to the audience that joined us today. I will say on the problem gambling piece, just quickly. Uh, Robin McNeil at, at bonus.com has done a lot of really good work and follows follows that part of the industry very closely. So um, you can find Robin on, on Twitter. She's she's on LinkedIn. You can find her at bonus.com. So would suggest kind of keeping tabs on the work that Robin's done in, in reporting on that uh, on that issue. Um, let's wrap it up for this week. Um, for the people that uh, in the audience who who might want a, a friend or someone else at work to listen to this, um, Mark Silver, our executive producer and C Parlay Media Group CEO, does produce a podcast of this that comes out every every Monday morning. So uh, you can listen to it there. Uh, you can also find the podcast on all the uh, on on the various uh, podcast stream streaming platforms, along with GamingNewsCanada.ca. Um, thanks everyone so much for being with us this week. Uh, please enjoy the rest of the week and the weekend, and we will see you again in seven days' time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.